Hello, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly why fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And in this episode, today, we're discussing Faith Taking Flight by Julie Murphy, a book about a nerdy suburban teen who can fly... And after Faith's all-time favorite show, The Grove, moves filming to her small town and a spate of human and other-than-human disappearances starts. And Faith is determined to get to the bottom of things. And chaos does indeed ensue, to use the tagline, <laughs> the unofficial official tagline. <laughs> As it does. <laughs> Initial reactions. I went into this book with absolutely no expectations because I haven't read anything by Julie Murphy before, but I really love this book. Faith was so fun and so into her fandoms. I didn't really love her friends, but she was a very relatable character. And now I'm like, maybe I should read some more stuff by Julie Murphy. What did you think? This is also my first time reading Julie Murphy's work and I'm here for it. I watched Dumplin' on Netflix, but I hadn't like read anything that she'd wrote, which is that's an adaptation of one of her novels. I loved Faith's voice and character development and there were plenty of plot twists that I didn't see coming along the way. I so appreciate how the book digs into like material, like real world teen concerns, like chosen or and blood family or like what happens when you're grieving the loss of that and how that gets you know changes over time paying for school making ends meet working exploring our desires you know whether that's sexually or otherwise so or like what you want to do with your life you know so I appreciated how it really the book is it's very like boots on the ground even though it's about a girl who flies recommend if you like anything to do with fandoms so many of them got to mention in this book um mostly all i can think of is mcu because we had a nick fury mention in the book and that was fun ship it by britta london which we read previously in like episode three so like forever ago <laughs> any comic book superhero things of course i'm thinking of the mcu because it's always on my mind Probably also Riverdale, which I did not put in the notes, but I feel like if you liked season one of Riverdale and maybe season two before things kind of got really weird Went off the you rails might also like this. <laughs> yeah, it did a little bit. <laughs> That's a really great uh watch alike, the Riverdale one. I added the Bright Sessions podcast and or the Infinite Noise and subsequent books by Lauren Chippen about like teens getting powers and what to do with them and they're very like introspective in a similar way that this book is. Why did we choose this book? This book was a recommendation to us by someone on Instagram a while back. Like I don't even remember how long ago. Um, so if that was you, let us know so we can give you the credit for recommending this book to us. Um, if I remember correctly, they had mentioned wanting to see more books with fat rep in our shows. Um, and this was the book that they picked. Um, so we decided to read it. <laughs> Yay. Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. 
Unlike a lot of the books we read for the show, this book takes place in our own world and is contemporary, but with magic. Um, it takes place in a town called Glenwood, which is meant to be outside of Minneapolis slash St. Paul. So like outside the Twin Cities, I think Faith mentions we will see like the Minneapolis skyline when she's like flying. And I think they actually go into Minneapolis for the like party, like production party or whatever. So a little bit of a change up for us. We don't really read much that takes place in <laughs> our real world. <laughs> I feel like we say that, are saying that more and more often, which maybe means that we are reading stuff that <laughs> takes place here. <laughs> I mean, all I can really think of is A Blade So Black, and then we did City of Bones. And we're not going back there. No, we're not. I mean, we'll go back to A Blade So Black right. whenever the next book comes out in that series. A Crown So Cursed. Yeah, um, Ship It was in our real world, but I can't, I can't think of anything else but, like, me. <laughs> okay, I guess a lats away. Wicked Fox. <laughs> okay, you're right. It's just happening more often than I realize. <laughs> Some of the, uh, what was it? Some of the Brooklyn Brujas are. Yeah, all right. We're getting more contemporary, real-worldy things Fan- coming the our The magic way. is everywhere in our real life. That's a takeaway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fandoms were a big part of the world building. You mentioned this a little bit already, but like from the very beginning, it's he's using these like cultural references to like orient the reader. And something I appreciated was Battlestar Galactica. I got a shout out like right away in the prologue. And for people who don't know, both of my dogs are named after Battlestar Galactica characters. So I'm like big fan here. But yeah, I thought it was like a necessary choice given the topic of the book. Mm-hmm. But I, Let's talk about this more later. I, I saw that you put some some juicy goodness down in Kill Your Darlings. So we'll we'll bracket this yes. for now. Yes, yes. I guess we can mention like F- Faith keeps like a fandom blog for what is this show called? The Grove. the Grove. Oh, The Grove. That's it. I think that also made me think of Riverdale for some reason because it's just like totally a show named after a town, I guess. But I really liked this aspect and like the TV show, like filming aspect of it was cool. So for people who don't know, um, my husband was an extra in a TV show and in a movie. So in Iron Man 3, he's an extra in this scene with where Tony is like saving the people who fall out of the plane or get blown out of the plane. So he got to meet like the Red Bull diving like skydiving crew um, because he lived in a city where they made movies and tv shows That's so cool yeah so he was in that and then what is that show called i can't remember something with danny mcbride but it was cool to like read this part of the book because i have some like very little bit of insider knowledge from his experiences working on that stuff just like over the summers while we were in college because he lived in one of those towns that like used to get like tax breaks or whatever for filming crew so i really appreciate that and like seeing faith go around the movie set or the tv show set and do that kind of stuff i feel like this is like a whole subgenre because i've read a few contemporary romance novels that are about this oh really the charm offensive you know it's about like a, a producing a reality show and this production assistant who's in charge like and obviously they fall for each other you know the contestant and the assistant like you see yeah. that coming but that's why we read romance you know <laughs> and then there was another one I feel like was it a Jasmine Guillory one? Oh, yeah where the main character is like a high power actress and so you see mm-hmm. some of the behind the scenes of all this and so it's a really interesting um subgenre you know because I feel like it gets to this um you want to see how the like one percent lives you know yeah like, it's just it's 
especially in the U.S., like TV and movies are so mythologized, you know, they're like mm-hmm. our royalty, this Hollywood elite. Yeah. So it's um, I can see why it's like a really intriguing premise for a story. Yeah. And it's like kind of cool because I don't think it's that hard to become an extra on stuff. If you live in one of these towns, you kind of just like find the casting calls and like just show up and they just do like do whatever they ask you to do. <laughs> so it's kind of cool that you can kind of just like be a norm like a normal person and just show up for a day, do the filming and then you're like, "Yeah, I'm an extra in a thing." So that's pretty fun. Let's discuss all things magic. The people in this book who have magical abilities are called Psyots, and they have all different kinds of abilities. And in the story, everyone has the gene, but not everyone is activated. So kind of like it reminded me of the X-Men a little bit. I don't think everyone has the X-Men gene in that story. Obviously, there's lots of different runs of that comic book, so it kind of probably depends on the story you're reading. But it kind of reminded me in that. And like Faith can fly. I don't know what that Peter dude can do. I guess he activates people, but I don't know what else he does. Can he like sense people and activate them? I don't know. Yeah. And then that girl that was like kidnapped, she Colleen fired to things with her hands. (laughs) Yeah. And then she could like scream really loud and break things. All I could think of is, um, what's the girl from X-Men with the blonde stripe? Rogue. Yeah. That's all I could think of was like, because she's like, I can't even touch my nephew. And I was like, oh, that's really sad. And then all the gloves make sense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They uh, compare, they liken developing superpowers to a second puberty, which I thought was like an interesting way of like, I don't know, making this like growth process actually visceral and comparing it to something Mm -hmm. that like people have experienced like in their bodies. So I liked this aspect, you know, how like tangible the descriptions of flying felt like this gets to my next point which is faith can fly and i would 100 percent want this superpower it's amazing (laughs) i was just like oh my god tell me i'm a bird like ryan gosling (laughs) from the notebook like i see so tara brock has this like teaching about like like that bird has my wings you know so it's like we're getting to the like the you're not actually separate from the world we just like make these artificial separations in our minds you know Oh, I just love flying. It's so cool. <laughs> is is that the, your superpower that you would pick if you could? I think I would. I think I would. I'm such like okay. an air person in my astrological chart that I feel like it just makes sense. All right. All right. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good and evil in our segment. Get me Kylo Ren. Um, Margaret, for sure, because she seems to be leading the charge and experimenting on people and animals. Um, I'm not really sure what their motivation is at this point. Maybe we'll get more in the second book or something. I don't know why you would want this for people. Like, or just like tell them up front, you know, medical experimentation can be done. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Margaret was on some like trauma mastery journey or something. Mm-hmm. Because, like, her backstory, I like how they called her Marto Margaret, for Margaret Tolliver. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So Marto's sister had powers. And so it seemed like she was jealous of her. But then her sister died when she was trying to be activated when she was a teen mm-hmm. or in her 20s or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems like everything that Margaret Tolliver is doing is stemming from that 
hardcore yeah, wound, so, you know, trauma. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it just goes to show that meeting our heroes in real life can be disappointing as fuck because they're just regular people with their own shit, their own baggage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't meet them if you can or meet them in very specific ways. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe just don't do it. <laughs> I would love to meet Gerard Way, but at the same time, I just don't want to, just in case he's, like, super disappointing. Just in case you, like, internally combust when it happens. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely happening. (laughs) Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Kelly wrote surprisingly little for this section. <laughs> Jesse is carrying the ship here. I'll, I'll try and supplement, but I thought all of your points mm. were really good. <laughs> we get a lot of queer representation in this book, which was fabulous. I did not know this was going to be part of the book, so yes. Um, Chess, one of Faith's best friends, is pansexual, and her other best friend, Matt, is gay. Faith hasn't put a label on herself in the book, but she has two interests in the book, Dakota and Johnny. So I guess we'll see where this goes in the next book, because Dakota is definitely not dead. I don't know if Faith really likes Johnny or not, but she kind of likes him. She's thinking society's (laughs) thoughts. (laughs) So yeah. <laughs> oh my god. No. I But Dakota's kind of bad. That's <laughs> true, but I like a bad. End, but, yeah. <laughs> I like an antagonist. Uh, yeah, you do. Uh, I have a problem. <laughs> yes, I loved the queer rep and it was just like woven throughout like como si nada, you know, like as if it were just normal, which it is, you know, and I mm-hmm. love how Faith talks about being like <laughs> one of those like adolescent moments where like I don't know if I like boys or girls being like the binary that you've always given you and then she just like decides to kiss one each of her friends <laughs> I know I was like could it, like nice of her friends to volunteer for that especially Matt since he's not into it right <laughs> oh man um Wraith ethnicity slash skin color are mentioned for I would say most if not all of the characters in that book in this book i've not seen that in any book written by a white person before so good job julie murphy (laughs) the bar is i was shocked (laughs) i don't think we had any main characters that were black or asian or Mm -mm. you know other people of color though no not at all which is like i don't know i would as an author if i were writing at least from the perspective of someone i would not want to write from a character that's not white because that's not an experience i know but Mm -hmm. i guess like well-developed side characters and i guess we don't really have any though i don't think johnny or dakota were poc but maybe they were and i just don't remember I was listening at times three. So. Times three? Wow. I'm I'm up to like 2.1, 2.2, but you're at a next level. <laughs> I listen to a lot of things. In the story, Chess is poor, and the friend group are from like different SEO backgrounds. So Matt seems pretty rich. His parents bought him a car for his birthday, and then he like traded it in for a different car because it wasn't the correct color. And I was just oh like... My God what that is a different level of privilege whereas chess is like her family's not gonna be able to help her pay for college um and she's working really hard to like get her grades up 
but obviously can't afford to pay for tutors and that sort of thing that people with more uh, money can do. And then I would say that um, Faith is kind of in the middle. She lives with her grandma who is retired. Money doesn't seem to be a problem, but it was interesting because I feel like those kind of things can be hard in a friend group, especially when you're young. And I think it's one of the reasons I don't like Matt because he has so much privilege and maybe doesn't realize it. But I thought the author, I think Julie Murphy did a really good job of like showing these different socioeconomic backgrounds and how they play into like the everyday life of the characters. Yeah. And how they affect their relationships on like a granular level, like you were saying. We also see a lot of missing white women syndrome (laughs) in this book. Nobody cares when the homeless people go missing. Nobody cares when there's like literally every person in this town who has a pet, their pet has gone missing. But as soon as Gretchen goes missing, it is like a huge deal. So you kind of see like who's important to this society, who's important in this neighborhood. It was just very obvious. And I don't know if Julie Murphy did this on purpose or not. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say that she did. But yeah, no one really cared about who's going missing until Gretchen went missing. Yeah, I think we see Faith coming to terms with this, but perhaps a more explicit discussion of missing white women syndrome would have been, you know, helpful if you're using so many real world parts as inspiration, you know? Mm-hmm. In this story, Faith is fat and we see differing perspectives on this. Her next door neighbor is really shitty about it and comments on her body a lot. And then Dakota is really nice about it. She's really lovely, makes very nice comments. But at the same time, I'm like, can we just stop commenting on other people's bodies at this point? It's very uncomfortable for the person who's getting either positive or negative comments. I don't know what other people think of this. I just feel like gross about it, I guess. I don't I don't really feel the need to comment on other people's body and I don't want them commenting on mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just why. I think this is one of Julia Murphy's signatures is writing fat characters, um, fat mm-hmm. women, white women characters, and showing the complexities of all of your different interactions. I thought the conversation about like the attraction piece was like a good one to have in a Mm -hmm. YA book with a fat protagonist, but it did feel like, or I don't know if Faith felt like she was being fetishized a little bit. Exactly. Because Dakota has quote unquote a type, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm just glad that the conversation is happening that like, that it's like messy and the gray areas are all out there in the book. But yeah, like the, commenting on on other people's bodies it's just like we can we be body neutral yeah you know just like neither positive nor negative they're just like they're complicated as we know from experience it's chronically ill folks they're complicated <laughs> like yes just there's a lot going on and I think it, it might have felt better it's hard because I do think people are attracted to each other on a physical level but maybe it would have felt better from Dakota's like coming from Dakota if body and size didn't matter to her but because she seems to have a type you're like like you said it did feel like fetishization so it would be nice to see Faith with someone who is you know physically attracted to her but like they're not only into one type of person if that makes sense you know what I mean like I don't know it just if it felt like off to me but Maybe that's just me. Maybe, you know, I'm an old person now. And so maybe <laughs> no, but I think you're onto something because you could 
tell like in the, at Faith's exposition that she felt weird about it, you know, after mm-hmm. hearing those comments about Dakota's quote unquote type. Yeah. I think it's like it's a polemic that's not resolved in the book. It's just it's it's out there. Yeah. But there's a second book, so maybe we'll see more about this later. Did you want to talk about um, Alzheimer's and aging? Oh, yes. Grandma Lou is showing signs of Alzheimer's, like you just mentioned. Um, and Faith is kind of not sure what to do about this. And it's and it's really hard because she's Faith is 17. So she doesn't want to be taken from her grandmother because her grandma needs to be in a home or, you know, is deemed unable to take care of Faith, who's just a few months out from being an adult legal adult and it's just one of those things where it's like you can't always count on yourself to be healthy and well (laughs) we all will become if we live into old age you know comes with its own trials and problems where our bodies and our minds won't work the way that they do when we're young so yeah this was I I felt really bad for her but her grandma is really set on making the decisions about what happens to her while that's still a possibility for her. And so, you know, she decides that she wants the carer to come take care of her during the day. um, And she's going to wait until Faith goes to college to try and look for some kind of, I guess, assisted living. Um, I think there are often communities where you can find like assisted living is uh, specifically for people with dementia or Alzheimer's. So it's kind of also a good reminder to make those decisions wow, that's still possible for us to do it if you can. So like with things like wills or, you know, talking to those around you about what you want and need as we age, that's probably far off for a lot of us and for a lot of you all out there, but just something to keep in mind, even with your own, your own elderly people in your life. I love everything you just said. (laughs) I appreciated this extra layer in the book because I think it added a lot to Faith's character. Her, seeing her relationship with her grandmother and you know, because Faith lost her parents in an accident. Yeah, you see this kind of progression and it's one of the points of tension in the book is like wh- her grandma Lou goes missing at one point. <laughs> one of the things that seems fantastical is like about the book where someone flying is like the like this aging in place and these sorts of things being actually like available to a family like grandma Lou and faith because it's like you don't we don't know what health care they have or like maybe this is a different world where they have socialized health care and things are just available to them wouldn't that be nice wouldn't it yeah yeah and it's hard because like you kind of want to make plans for yourself or for the older people in your life but those things are very expensive you know like assisted living can be more than living you know in the house that you already own oh yeah um, for some people or more than your rent that you would pay to live somewhere else. So yeah, it's a huge cost factor as well. That's a really good point. Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. Things don't really work out for Dakota and Faith, but she also has a thing for Johnny. And I have a feeling this isn't the last we'll see of Dakota so Faith might be staying in the love triangle that she says she hates so much for a bit longer. I'm not really on board with Johnny, but I don't feel like we got to know him very well in this book. So maybe I feel different if we see more of him in another book. And I don't really like Dakota either because she turned out to be kind of a bad person. She's a lying <laughs> liar pants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I really shipped Dakota and Faith. You know, they had the like super cute meet cute with the dog yeah. and like they ado- she adopted the dog and oh my God, so cute. And I was surprised by B- Dakota being in on the experiments. I like, I was like, oh my God, this is the major, it's going to be a major shift between in their relationship because Faith is not here for it. And they have some interesting conversations about like pe- using people as means for an end. And some people, do, sometimes people just like convince themselves that their ends are worth it. And then Dakota does that thing. <laughs> yeah. And this seems to be like a conversation that we have over and over on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Was it just me or did Matt kind of suck as a friend? <laughs> I completely agree with you. If something didn't involve him, he was super jealous and pissed off to the point that he left Faith without knowing how she would like if she could get home. Okay. At the per- like filming party or whatever. He seemed like everything had to revolve around him and like other people don't have problems of their own. And I was just like, dude, get your shit together. Like your friend's going through a lot. You're like upset that she didn't notice that things were going on with chess, but you didn't notice that anything was going on with Faith. Like, oh, he was a bad friend and I am really annoyed. with him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm glad that you put this in here because he was just like annoying and juvenile and Mm -hmm. was just like starting drama and shit for no reason when it's like both of your friends have way bigger stuff going on you are not the center of everything yeah as he's thinking about dating some 35 year old oh my god (laughs) coffee shop and i'm like bro (laughs) maybe finish high school before you start dating adults (laughs) so yeah not a not a big fan of matt Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in Kill Your Darlings. I'm just putting a little note here at the top that no to just comparing things to cakewalks. And I'm not sure if you know why. Mm -mm. Okay, so a cakewalk is a phrase that actually harkens back to when white men, white people enslaved and like quote unquote owned people. And it's a from minstrel shows. And so enslavers used to like make enslaved folks like dress up as like a parody oh. and mm-hmm. like walk around the room and they thought it was hilarious. And this is what a cakewalk is. There's a whole code switch episode about it. Whenever I hear this come up, like in conversation or whatever, I kind of I tend to interrupt this with like, did you know? <laughs> like not so fun fact about or here's like a fun not so fun fact about like super racism and how it's ingrained mm-hmm. in every single like aspect of like our bodies and language and stuff yeah that's uh, a cute did you know moment and then personally this, I, for similar reasons don't say like rule of thumb and it's not about like being politically correct in what I'm saying it's just like these are like really violent traditions that are getting enshrined in the language that we use. And what I find even more interesting is the fact that like we've become ignorant of their origins, you know? So anyway, end rant. I didn't know about either of those things. (laughs) Oh, I should say rule of thumb was a reference to use to be able to legally beat your spouse with something. If it was smaller than a thumb, like the circumference was smaller than your thumb. So like a switch or something would be fine interesting yeah had no idea yeah so it's a great opportunity if you're in conversation for like a did you know moment and then it like sparks off other conversations okay so before i talk about this next thing i just want to give a little bit of a content warning i'm going to talk about jk rowling for a minute so just so you know if you don't want to listen to this part of the episode 
just so you're aware. So this book has lots of Harry Potter references, and I think this is a really good argument for putting less pop cultural references into contemporary books. This book came out in 2020, and I don't remember if that was before or after it became part of the general consciousness that J.K. Rowling is a terrible person and transphobic. And thinking about how long it takes for a book to come out, this was probably out of the author's control by the that point. Uh, but all the same, if I ever write a book, I'm not mentioning anyone famous because you just don't know what kind of things are going to be like unearthed about those people, what kind of things are going to come into light about them or the things that they're a part of or the things that they created. Um, so I know this is like a discussion that's been going around on Instagram, like Bookstagram for a long time about whether or not it's okay to read you know, Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, or other problematic authors. And I obviously think that that is a decision people make for themselves. I have chosen not to. And I especially think it's important not to promote those things, even if you do want to continue to read them for obvious reasons. And not to make money off of said things, too. Yeah, and that's the hard part with posting those pictures on Instagram, is that it encourages people to read those things. (laughs) So yeah, I just... Maybe we shouldn't be putting pop culture references in contemporary works. One, it ages things a lot. (laughs) But also, sometimes people turn out to be pretty shitty. So you just never know. (laughs) Yeah, and then you need a whole cover-up tattoo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ask me how I know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I have my pile of Harry Potter books is, like, not even on a bookshelf anymore. It's sitting next to a bookshelf, and I'm like, do I put these in a box in my attic? Like... Yeah, like, what do you even do with these things? Exactly. Do I just, like, make art out of them? Like, make cut the pages out and make paper or stuff? Because you just, like, you can put it in a blender and then you make paper. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That could be I'm cool. I'm going to do that with my dissertation drafts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yes, I'm really glad that you brought this up because it's there are risks to making, taking people's personal work and enshrining them as, like, cultural touchstones, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, And I posted on Instagram, like in Instagram stories a little while back, and now I will never remember what the website was called, but there's a website that like has like this whole list of problematic authors and like why they're problematic. And I posted this Instagram stories, so I'll try and find it again so I can put it in the show notes. But um, it's kind of just good to like know why authors are being called out for things so people can decide like how they feel about that thing. I understand that people are going to feel differently about different things, but when it comes to like racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, like all the phobias. (laughs) I just think like, why would we, you know, put these authors on a pedestal and hold them up? So just something to think about. It's not like about canceling anyone necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like it's just these people, or especially like in JKR's case has had, you know, plenty of opportunities to like be accountable. And when she doubled down, (laughs) exactly. And she did the opposite. So here we are. Yeah. And sometimes authors apologize for the wrongs that they've done. And I think that should be taken into account for the most part. I think we should forgive people and like take them at their word. Now I'm also a Libra and I'm like, you get one chance and one chance only. <laughs> <laughs> but like, honestly, I think, you know, take them at the word that they didn't mean it or they didn't know. That's definitely possible. I just learned what cakewalk meant. And I'm a black person who has been living for like 32 years <laughs> I didn't know the meaning behind that. I think I've taken part in cakewalks like in elementary school. So yeah. So you just don't really know what people know. Epistemology. How do we, how could you? Exactly. (laughs) But 
if people aren't willing to apologize, people aren't willing to make amends for the wrongs that they've done. I don't really, I don't really care then. <laughs> then fine. You're, you're, you're done for me. Just wanted to put that in there. I don't think Julie Murphy's like a bad person or anything. I haven't looked into whether she apologized or made any comment about this, but just a good rule. Maybe don't put that stuff in your books. <laughs> okay. Is this a good time? We're done talking about trash authors now <laughs> <laughs> yay moving on is is this a good time to talk about our own celebrity crushes since Faye starts dating one of hers i'm interested to know who kelly's celebrity crushes are <laughs> oh my god uh, you're putting me on the spot i am let's just start off with god x herself kate blanchett <laughs> of course of course <laughs> elliot page mm-hmm let me think. Ugh. Let me keep thinking. I want to hear yours. I know yours. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are very easy and predictable. And if you know me at all, you already know. <laughs> Sebastian Stan, number one spot in my heart, like right after my husband, but like only slightly, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love my husband. And then Jamie Campbell Bauer. Oh, I should say you like Sebastian Stan from like the MCU. And then Jamie Campbell Bauer, who is. That's right. He was actually in that um city of bones movie i think he's gonna be in the new stranger things and at one, one point had a band called counterfeit I'm trying to think of anyone else those are probably like my top two okay they're good those are good oh daniel kaluuya mm. Mm. and idris elba both very good and you know what i do like oscar isaacs you know he's good in um star wars Okay, th that seems like more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gave two. I gave two, and you're just ra you're rattling them off. I love it. Daniel Ricardo, probably. Oh yeah, I do love Daniel Ricardo. And actually, Lewis Hamilton. but I do love Lewis Hamilton even more. <laughs> exactly. We don't have to stay to movies. <laughs> yeah, oh, I can pick sport people, <laughs> musicians. I'm trying to think. Oh, I love Joy Ladakun. Her music oh, is I don't incredible. Know who that is. Oh, musician. Okay. I can call that good i'm like drawing a blank here even though i'm like basic my sexuality is everyone basically <laughs> also i put it in the show notes so you had more than enough time to think about it i know it. <laughs> you really yeah you did i could have pre-gamed this but yeah. i live on the edge you do you do oh also chris evans <laughs> oh in that cable knit sweater from knives out yeah yeah and i just rewatched captain america civil war and like i shipped captain america and bucky so hard so it's america's ass right there yeah it, it really is oh also i love tessa thompson and thor mm. she is so amazing and zendaya i'm watching euphoria right now i got i got a soft spot for my other biracial <laughs> women out there i guess <laughs> Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way or did it make you interrogate a concept or system or trend that you hadn't before? No surprises, I wrote nothing. <laughs> I wrote three things. First one is uh, there's this one point where I think Faith is talking about humans as living contradictions of fragility and resilience. And I thought, oh, wow, really hits home. And then there's also... My partner and I have this thing where we're like, don't forget to look up because uh, there's amazing things. If you look up like mountain views or clouds or an amazing fresco above you, if you're, I don't know, visiting a museum in Europe or something. So 
just don't forget to look up. It's important to get a different perspective. Tell me I'm a bird. (laughs) And finally, one of the like, I think, core messages of the book is that you should love the things that you love unapologetically. I just really appreciated that. And I think it's in concert with our podcast ethos. It is indeed. It is one of my favorite things. I feel like it can be really hard to do, especially when you're a young person. I got made fun of a lot for the kind of music I liked and reading books and all the things. And I just decided it doesn't matter. I like them. And that's all that matters. And now as an adult, people don't make fun of me for those things. But I'm glad I didn't like try and hide them when I was young. And neither does Faith. I appreciate that about her. And not to mention that when you just like are beaming love out into the universe, you find other people who are on your same frequency. It just happens. And that's how Kelly and I found each other. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Are we ready for some card questions? I think so. Let's do it without knocking over the microphone this time. (laughs) Do you agree with the point of view of the author? I think so, but I think that can be hard to say. Exactly. That's too of a like a blanket question. What one question would you like to ask the author? How do you feel about including fandoms in your book that are now seen as piles of trash? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I just wonder if authors like regret that afterwards, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would if it were me. Me too. Ugh. Okay. Let's not let's not end on that note. These are all authory, interesting. The third and final. How would you describe the style of the author? Mm. She seems very joyful. I was gonna say bubbly. Yeah, yeah. Like I haven't read or watched Dumplin', but I have a feeling that book might be similar to this one. So just very like positive outlook on life. Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Occulta by Maya Motain. As always, we would love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at the Library Coven. You can subscribe to the Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice, and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Mm-hmm.